Well, good evening and welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. And tonight we're going to be talking about one of the topics that just irritates the hell out of me. Um, you know, we live in a state or you live in a state uh, that's overrun by crime. And so what does our governor do? She decides to release murderers, um, heinous criminals um, as part of her plan. And, and now how that adds up and gets us to a point where we reduce crime, I'm not sure. But families of these victims um, that were killed by these people that she's releasing are just over the top angry. District attorneys were not even notified by the governor before this happened. The families were not notified before this happened. And now Kevin Mannix and some folks have taken this uh, to the courts and they have a recent uh, decision, which is not a good one, uh, but, but Kevin's not done. So he's gonna be joining us in just a second. I wanna thank our sponsors, Chris Daniel Family Dentistry and also um, Buck Sanitary Service. Uh, Chris Daniel says, get in there now uh, for your appointments because October and November are going to fill up really fast. So for September, make your appointment. I know your kids are going back to school, but this is the time to get back in there. And for Buck Sanitary Service, if you got a, a, an event coming up, a wedding, uh, some kind of an event, I'd be sure and contact them because they have showers. They have all kinds of stuff. In fact, we'll show you some of what they offer in just a second. Uh, but I have Kevin Mannix is going to be joining us. And then we're hoping to get... Brian Aker, um, his fiance was murdered uh, 30, 30 years ago, I think it was, but up in the Portland area by one of the people that Governor Brown has decided should be released from prison. <laughs> Only in Oregon. Dancer here. Before the fall rush sets in, now is the time to get in to see the dentist. Oregon's best dentist, and still my dentist, is Dr. Michael Bratton at Chris Dental in Eugene. Dr. Bratlin and his staff are second to none. You have a tooth you need crowned? Give them a call and they'll get you in ASAP. Remember, at Chris Dental, everyone is welcome, vaccinated or not. now kevin mannix how you doing kevin i'm doing very well rick how are you hey i am doing great kevin it's good to see you um kevin has been in the political world for a long time and is actually running for an office we'll talk about that a little bit later um, but i want to be right up front with that so he is uh, running for an office as a republican but this is not a democrat or republican issue that we're talking about here is it kevin no, it's not. It's really a broad-based issue that everyone should be concerned about, liberal or conservative. It's about adhering to our Constitution and our statutes in regard to the clemency process. Tell people how Kate Brown is not, how she's working her way around this system. Well, there's two elements to this. First of all, Kate Brown has decided that by using her clemency powers, she can empower the parole board to consider certain 
decisions, certain cases that are outside of their jurisdiction. She has told the parole board that despite the statutes that limit the time frame for the crimes that they can handle, she is empowering them, she says, through her clemency power, to look at other sentences that are not within their jurisdiction and to take them up for reduction. And we're saying, wait a minute, you can't do that. It's a violation of the jurisdiction of the clemency board to give them extra powers. And the circuit court has agreed with us. It issued a writ of mandamus saying the parole board cannot take on these extra cases that the governor has sent to them of people who've committed violent crimes years ago where they do not have jurisdiction to shorten the census. And she's been trying to give them jurisdiction to shorten the census. So she's not been able to do that. The second thing the governor has done is Despite the fact that since statehood, we've had a clemency process where the governor has an interchange with the district attorney, and over time, the statutes have evolved, but the process statutes call for the governor to notify the district attorney of a given county as to a proposed clemency, a requested clemency action, and the district attorney notifies the victim, and the victim and the district attorney have a chance to present to the governor their concerns, their arguments, the facts of the case for the governor's consideration before the governor makes a clemency decision. And that's the process that was followed until about two years ago by all the governors until Kate Brown, and she'd already followed the old process before, suddenly decided, well, we have an alternative universe. That's the way I put it, where uh, there's that process statute, but she can make her own decisions about how to handle the clemency cases. And I want the, the number of the controversies, the Oregon Constitution does give the governor strong power to reduce sentences and issue pardons. But it says subject to process or subject to regulation established by law. And we're saying, hey, we can't second guess her final decision. We can say she must go through the process required by law and she must give the district attorney and the victim an opportunity to be heard. There's also a 10-day time frame after all of that where she announces her proposed decision and the public can be heard. So none of that, uh, the, according to the governor, uh, has to be followed by her and she can do her own thing. And doing her own thing, she has released 1,200 convicted felons from our prison system. And most of those were released without going through the process. We're objecting to that. We're asking the courts to mandate that she follow the process. So Kevin, isn't also this kind of a broad brush where she's just, here's all the people and not taking this one case at a time, but then giving that power, the power that is hers, giving it to the parole board, which was never what it was intended to do. So it's, it's really making them make the decision so she can be a chicken shit and stand out of it. That here's all these people. So here's the people I recommend. And then they can just go through and, and she's given that clemency power to the parole board, basically. That's a correct point. And that's part of the jurisdiction argument. It's outside of their jurisdiction. But it's also, as you point out, an unlawful delegation of the clemency power. The clemency power is a power held only by the governor. And it's held as for the highly unusual case, maybe one out of a thousand, where after many years, someone may have been shown to be an exemplary prison and have reformed themselves. And you decide that despite the sentence, let's hear from the district attorney, let's hear from the victim. Maybe this person will be given a break in terms of the sentence. 
It's supposed to be a unique and narrow power, and it is not supposed to be delegated to somebody else, which is what she's trying to do. Hey, parole board, I'm sending you these cases. And by the way, I'm saying they all have clemency, but it'll be whatever the parole board decides. No, it doesn't work that way. And so far, the courts have agreed with us on that one. So what did the appeal to appellate court just rule um, to, to cause you to take it to the Supreme Court? Explain to people. And who, can I ask, who appoints the appellate court? Well, technically our judges are elected, but in reality, 87% of our judges first get on the bench by appointment by the governor to a vacancy, and then they run to be kept in office as incumbents. That's another issue for reform later on. But um, uh, the, the vast majority of the judges in Oregon who are on the bench right now were appointed by the governor. And four of the seven judges on the Oregon Supreme Court were appointed by the governor. Now, we lost in the Court of Appeals. Now, we won in circuit court on the uh, issue about the Board of Parole, and that mandamus is still in effect because there's no judgment overturning the circuit court because we've gone on to the Supreme Court. But what happened in the Court of Appeals? They decided, no, it's okay for the governor to give additional jurisdiction to the parole board, and it's okay for the governor to have her own alternative track that she follows. We are challenging that in the Supreme Court, and because the case is still pending in front of the Supreme Court, the original mandamus by the circuit court judge is still standing unless the Supreme Court sets it aside pending litigation. I don't want to complicate this too much, but basically we are now in front of the Supreme Court saying you're the ultimate arbiters of the Oregon Constitution and the Oregon statutes, and this process needs to be cleaned up with a decision by the Oregon Supreme Court. So this, you knew this was probably going to happen, and you, you wanted to get that to the Supreme Court. So this is not like oh. a big... A bit. I mean, it's it's they could have made the, the proper decision, in my in my opinion. But and then know. the state would have appealed it. We knew that one way or another, this was ultimately going to get to the Supreme Court. And the state here is the attorney general and all the agencies she represents. And, and I'm extremely disappointed, to say the least, that the attorney general didn't step in and say, Governor, you're doing the wrong thing. Parole board, you're doing the wrong thing. Instead, she's defending this. And so that will be up in front of the Supreme Court as to whether or not uh, this whole process can proceed the way that the governor wants it to proceed. Okay, let's put the rubber where the road hits the, uh, the trail here. Brian Ecker, you're now on the screen with everybody. Um, Hi. Kevin Mannix is here. So, Brian, you you know you stay up on this because your fiance was uh, murdered by one of the people that uh, Governor Brown would like to release. Yeah, that's true. It that was difficult we went to trial and everything on it and um you know this kid had 18 more years to serve and um basically she um had words with the judge from what we found out and um he let him out um it was a pretty intense day i mean just to have to sit there and look at somebody that's you know, yeah, he's been in jail for 30 years, but he had 18 more years to serve, you know, in prison. And um, rightfully so, should have been there for another 18. And um, this judge had never seen the case, never really been involved with it much, had a few days to look at it, um, had to review it. He heard from all of us. And I tell you what, when I was talking in there, um, there's people crying in the place and he, huh. 
this judge was like flush red, looking down, looking away, kind of, he was getting nervous because of stuff that I was just being truthful of what happened that day and how it's affecting everybody. And, you know, the parole board, there, there were eight seats there that were supposed to be apparently from what um, the district attorney there um, told us. The parole board was supposed to be there. They weren't there. They weren't there to hear any of this because they were told they didn't have to. They didn't have to show. They didn't have to be there. If they would have heard what people really feel and how this affects families and they're going to let them out. And the only way to keep somebody in, I was told by numerous um, people was if he has to do it again and then you'll be in for life. He'll never get out. So, 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 so when the parole board is making this decision and then they fail to show up to face the music, basically, yeah. Um, to, to go face to face with the families of someone who was murdered. Yep. And they're too chicken to show up. Exactly. And go through that process. What does that say to you, Brian? It just gives you chills. It just makes you so furious and so mad that you just can't, especially Kate Brown and the way she's handled everything. It just, it just makes you raw inside um, and, and angry. Um, and that, there's the justice system is just so corrupt and just <laughs> with, with, with her, with her in it, you know, and that's for sure. I mean, so, so Brian now ex explains because when, when the, when the killer was released from prison, yeah. then your former exactly. fiance magic, she magically <laughs> came back to life. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, really. it's, it, that's how it all happens. Right. Right. I know. He was she really doesn't get a choice after this trial five days and then he was out he was released and you know what they wouldn't even um uh a um we wanted certain things set in place to let him out because if in case this happened and they wouldn't even put a tracking device on him to so they knew where he was at and stuff he said well we use that as a um kind of like a deterrent oh you be a good boy and um we won't put this on you okay really you're so, talking about the worst killers in Oregon history and murder scenes in Oregon history. So, Still. Kevin, Kevin, when you hear this, what, what do you think? Well, first of all, it's chilling. And then I, I shift into my blood boils to think that the justice system has been so perverted by the actions of a number of individuals over the years. We were supposed to have adopted truth in sentencing in 1989. As of November 1, 1989, the parole board no longer has jurisdiction for any crimes after that date to reduce sentences. They get to look at people who have been properly sentenced and then they serve their time and it's called post-conviction supervision. After they're released, if they do something wrong during post-conviction time, then they can be revoked and brought back into prison. That's the parole board role for that, a limited role. They also have a role as to any conviction for a crime that occurred before November 1, 1989. Now, the legislature has recently given them some additional jurisdiction. We're not getting into details on that. That was a mistake, but it's a limited amount of jurisdiction. What the governor has done is tried to open the door through her clemency power to give them even more jurisdiction. Yeah. We need to return to true truth and sentencing. 
that when a judge in open court sentences someone to a certain amount of time in prison, that's the time that you will serve. Now, if there's any provision for any good time, any adjustment, the judge needs to state that so that we'll understand whether or not there's any adjustments that might happen. And that's up to the Department of Corrections. I don't want to be too technical here, but the victim ought to know the day the victim walks out of the court or the members of a murdered victim's family walk out of the court, exactly what kind of sentence has been imposed, how long someone needs to serve. Now, the rare exception, maybe one case out of a thousand, 20 years later, uh, maybe someone sentenced to 25 years in prison, saves the life of a corrections officer during a riot, and they say, wow, he's had a really good record, no misconduct, he did something special. Maybe there's an occasional rare case to say this person's demonstrated rehabilitation, then the governor can exercise the clemency power. But this governor has released 8% of the prison population using her clemency power and not evaluating the individual cases. So we're seeing a real miscarriage of justice. Things can be done. We're, well, first, we're fighting in court to get the Supreme Court to make sure the right thing does happen, and these bad things cannot occur without the proper process. Beyond that, I will be proposing that we amend the Oregon Constitution huh. to say anytime someone's sentenced to prison for a felony crime, the governor may not pardon that person and may not release that person unless a majority of the Oregon Senate agrees. That would be, you know, 16 out of 30 senators would have to look at this, take political responsibility and say, yes, that's okay as a matter of pardon or clemency. Why? Because they're, they're up for election every four years, and that would serve as a protection clause against this governor going wacko. And governors can do that in some states that's happened their last few days in office. They do a bunch of clemency orders. Well, we need to limit that and make sure it only happens in extraordinary cases where a majority of senators would say, yeah, this is okay. The second thing we're gonna to need to do as to all those people that got released early, I wanna propose that we have, if they commit another felony, that we automatically add five years to whatever sentence they get for the next felony as because they were given a break that they shouldn't have gotten, they were let out, here they've committed another serious crime, let's make them be more accountable because they took advantage of clemency power. But those are things for later. Right now, we're in court trying to prevent this governor from abusing her clemency power. So, Kevin, let me ask you this. What can if if the guy that uh, is involved with Brian's case, if he's already out, what can anything be done except for him killing someone else or committing a crime to get? Can, can this be reversed? And my second question, that's part one. Part two is, does anybody know why the governor is so hell bent on releasing these people? I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. I, you know, and obviously she's not going to come on my show, but I mean, I, does anybody know, has she said there's like, is there a good reason? I'd love to hear any of her supporters write on here as a comment. Um, do you, cause I know a lot of Democrats do not agree with this too. Um, but who can, who can stand up and say, um, you know, no, I totally get it and explain it to me because I don't get it. Everybody's me when they talk to me about this they say what is she thinking why is she doing this what benefit is there out there and you know the first hundred people that she let out maybe a hundred and something there's 20 of them recommitted some type of crime and stuff and there was two of them out of the 20 they couldn't find them yet they haven't found them yet but they know they're out there running around so i found that out from three different da's 
Yeah. Well, the, to answer your first question, unless the parole board, as I recall, this is an older sentencing so that they did have jurisdiction in the matter yeah. because it was before November 1, 1989. Am I right about that, Brian? Yes. So uh, this does show what, what was wrong with the old system where the parole board could do this. And a remedy for that, by the way, there's two. One is if the process wasn't followed, we can challenge the process. The other is, though, I think there ought to be a restriction on parole board decisions if they're going to make these kinds of decisions. Those two ought to be subject to ratification by, yeah. say, the Oregon Senate. Some sort of system set up, some sort of protection. But the best protection is don't let them make the decision in the first place. And uh, we've done that for anything since November 1, 1989, except for the legislature having made some exceptions with a recent bill that we're going to have to work to reverse because they did it for certain juvenile criminals who were sentenced for violent crimes. I don't want to get too technical here, but the point is we can fix this for the future. Um, okay. At the same time, we need to understand that this process does require citizens paying attention. Now, the second question you asked is, why is she doing this? All I can say is that she seems to have been uh, uh, encouraged by a law professor at Lewis and Clark College who wrote an article saying, well, if you don't like Measure 11, you don't like mandatory minimum prison sentences for violent crimes, the governor can undo them by granting clemency, and she should grant clemency as much as possible. Technically, yes, the governor can grant clemency, but as I've argued in this this podcast, she needs to follow the process, which means listen to the victims, listen to the DAs, and also take the time where the public can be involved in the decision. But the clemency process was not meant to give the governor the power to be a super legislature or to change the vote of the people who passed Measure 11 and suddenly say, well, we're not going to have these sentences. So this is why we need to restrict the power of any future governor to do clemency, because this is just wrong. And this governor, the one thing that she's done is she's demonstrated to us what can happen when a governor decides to go way beyond the limits and we need to fight back. So um, I'd like any Democrat who wants or any Republican, any Oregonian who wants to defend the governor's decision to step forward. I'm saying unless she can document in every single case that she considered the victim, she considered the district attorney and she had rational reasons for reducing the specific sentence. She shouldn't be doing it. Right. Brian? Yeah, she just, her main thing was what we heard from um, the DA in Clackamas County and stuff was that just, um, you know, he was a juvenile, so um, he deserves a, a second chance. Well, I not get a second chance. So, you know, with having Lisa back, you know, it's just like, why should, let him serve his time, then he can have his second chance, but serve your time whatever it is in, in prison. You know, he had 18 more years. He should still be in there. And this is absolutely wrong. And to not have the parole board there at these type of hearings and things. And I think I, I think the other thing that bugs me, uh, too, on this, Brian and Kevin, is that none of the DAs were taught. It's not like Brown went out and said, you know, OK, here's here's criminal bill. And so I'm going to call the DA. And so what did, you know, what do you think? Here's some, I'm you know, getting some knowledge and understanding of the crime and what happened, then talking to the victims, then making a decision. But instead, just going on this, a thousand people just throwing them out the door and not even bothering. I mean, the DAs are pissed. Oh, and yes, they they should be. Be. And they should be. But I mean, that she's just, that that is, 
that is the arrogance and the biggest ego you can ever imagine because she's just doing this because she obviously at this point she can. And unless the people of Oregon stand up and say, knock this shit off, it's going to continue. This is this is not a good precedent to set. No, she's out of there in oh. November. I mean, she doesn't give a damn. Well, the, the governor's term ends on January 10. We'll be electing another governor, a new governor. Won't be Kate Brown in November. And that <laughs> new governor takes office on January 10. In the meantime, I'm working up on proposed legislation, talking to current legislators about how we can, as a legislature, reduce the power of the governor to do this, restrict it, narrow it, so that it truly is back to being an extraordinary remedy and an extraordinary case not these across the board uh, redirection of criminal justice policy because she decided she doesn't like our sentencing laws. So, um, Kevin, let me ask you this. And Brian, you can stick around if you want. I'm going to, but I want to get Kevin, you're running for House? State Representative, House District 21, which is Kaiser and North Salem. Okay, now tell me this what can the legislature do? To take away, this is off topic here. Well, kind of same topic, but you know, to, to, to take away the power of a governor to be able to lock down a state for a year, a year and a half, whatever the hell it was, but to have that kind of power that you can come on and go, I know this is really, really hard, and then lock people down. Because I think we're seeing from what happened, the results of that lockdown to our school children, the, the studies that are out that are showing that, to our population, people are angry, they're mentally ill, they're frustrated, that, that one person doesn't get to make that decision like that. How can the legislature change that so that doesn't happen again? We can change the statutes about emergencies. And there are two statutory systems about emergencies. One goes back to 1949, and it had to do with floods and earthquakes and storms and droughts and specific situations where the governor could declare an emergency and take action. The other is an epidemic emergency law, and that's the one that gives the governor lockdown power for 14 days to lock down in the community to restrict an epidemic, and she can renew that lockdown for 14 days. Yeah, 14 plus 14 equals 28. No further authority. So what happened? We went to court to challenge the governor's lockdown power. We won in circuit court, but the state took an emergency appeal to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled, well, the governor is citing both emergency laws, the original general emergency laws and the epidemic emergency laws, and even though there's no lockdown power in the general emergency laws, she does have it in the epidemic emergency laws. Then they, But this is the weird thing. There's no time limit on the general emergency laws. There's that 28-day time limit on the lockdown epidemic emergency laws. Oh, no, because she cited both, we'll say there's no time limit. The solution, there's two, two solutions. One, we need to change the laws to say, Lockdown authority, any kind of authority in any emergency is limited to 30 days. And after that, county commissioners in each county need to decide whether or not there's any continuing emergency in their one county. For all, all 36 counties, the commissioners ought to have that power. The next thing we ought to do, though, to make sure no court can let the governor get around it through some statutory interpretation is to send out an amendment to the Oregon Constitution to the voters that says simply this. Any emergency power that the governor claims can only last for 30 days. 
She has to name the county or counties where the emergency occurs. And after 30 days, she has no further power. The county commissioners have to decide whether or not anything else needs to be done. And every 30 days, they have to revisit it. They can restrict what's done from what the governor said. They can do what they need to for that county. Or they can say, we're not doing anything else. Re-empower our 36 counties to take a look at their own situations. So it's local control, it's time limited, and it needs to be a clear limitation on the governor's emergency powers for the future so this can't happen again. And we can do that. And if we amend the Constitution, we've made it clear then that the governor can't say, well, I have some general police powers. No, you don't. Here's what the Constitution has to say and limit it that way. So I'll be working on that solution too. All right. Um, Brian, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you being here. I got one more question for Kevin, but I'm going to let you go because you have stuff to do. Yeah. And thank you, Kevin. Thank for you, all your, Brian. You're, you're awesome. You're, you're, you're welcome, man. Brian. Take care. You bet. Thank you. All right. So, Kevin, um, is what do you see going on? I mean, do you think I mean, I know people in Oregon are just like very frustrated, at least some people. And I think. It, 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 you know, it's, it's not about and to me, it's not about Republicans, Democrats, because the largest voting block, thanks to the Democrats for the motor voter law, um, is the non-affiliated voter. And um, and those people, you know, are unfortunately a lot of people that are not affiliated aren't committed to voting, but it's going to throw this monkey wrench into everything. Do you think that there's going to be enough people elected to make Oregon a little less um dark blue and maybe more of a lighter shade of blue or maybe even like some hues of purple somewhere in there? I do think this is going to be an extraordinary election year. I think that uh, with the, the cast of candidates that we have with redistricting, there's a real opportunity for voters to make some choices and to look at each candidate for the legislature and, and ask them tough questions about where they stand. And then I think change some of the, some of the mix in the legislature. I think that uh, uh, there are some more conservative Democrats still out there, but most of them, most of them are enlisted in the uh, le lefty liberal cause. Unfortunately, um, the Republicans are considerably more conservative and on these public safety issues, they are definitely up in arms and want to change the laws. I think that there's a chance, a good chance that the Oregon Senate will end up with a Republican majority. I think there's a chance that the House would have a Republican majority. But the Republican Party and its Republican candidates need to understand that they need to be listening to all the voters. We have a lot of non-affiliated voters who are very upset, too, and we need to pay attention as to what kind of policies are developed. And we need to talk to the Democrats. We need to bring them to the table and say, what can we do for the common good? And I'll be advocating for that. I'm old school. I do believe that we need to have a conversation about every issue, not shout at each other, not call each other names, have a conversation, identify what the problem is, and come together, even if we have to compromise somewhat, on solutions. And I will, I plan to, if the voters allow me, to return to the legislature to advocate for common sense solutions across the board. And then with a new governor, I think we have a real opportunity. I think that Frankly, if Tina Kotek is the governor, she was Speaker of the House for 11 years. I don't know how she can say she wants to change things and make things better when she had a Democrat Senate, a Democrat governor, and she's the Democrat Speaker of the House for 11 years. So what has she done about our own e economic impacts, about our taxes, about all kinds of things, homelessness, crime? And she owns that. And so I don't see how she can justify being elected governor from that perspective. 
she'll have to make her case. You have a non-affiliated candidate, Betsy Johnson. She was chair of co-chair of Ways and Means, so she's involved in the funding of government for many years. And then you have Christine DeRazen, who's the Republican candidate, who was in the minority in the House, trying to stand up for her principles. She's making the case to the voters that she's the one person who isn't tied to the past, but is looking to the future. Of course, I'm endorsing and supporting her as a fellow Republican. And I think we need to be taking a broad-based approach to this, showing the non-affiliated voters that we're listening to them and reaching out to the Democrats saying, if some of you are fed up with this, join with us in changing these things. Don't you think, Kevin, I think part of the problem too, for, with the, and you can't maybe address this too much, but I, I find with the Republicans is it's you've got to find the thing that makes people come alive. You, you got to have issues where they relate to things. You know what I mean? And what you're talking about, I totally agree with, but it's things like not, you know, not these, um, well, if we just went by the constitution, I mean, you know, it, it's gotta be, what are people saying? What are they? Well, listening? what people are saying is we are fed up with homelessness. We're fed up with the state government that isn't doing its job to help our local communities, our cities and counties to deal with the mental health issues, the drug and alcohol rehabilitation need in, in terms of drug and alcohol addiction. Also now the criminality that's going on with street drugs being basically Anybody can do it. You pay a $100 civil penalty if you feel like it. We have to readdress our drug laws. We have to readdress our failure to provide the necessary services on mental illness, including the state hospital system, our failure to fully fund that. That's a big part of it. And then our failure to hold people accountable when they are violating the law, any law, you need to be held accountable. And we need to have a system where, yes, it would be a just system, but if you've broken the law, you're going to be held accountable. And when we have lawlessness occurring on the streets of Portland with a Democrat district attorney who is refusing to enforce the law across the board, well, people need to understand that's a Democrat district attorney in a Democrat-ruled city. And that's demonstrating to us, unfortunately, the failure of the Democratic Party to deal with public safety. And the That's Republican Party needs to say we're going to do it in a positive way. Everyone's rights are going to be respected, but we're not putting up with people committing arson, stealing right. cars, breaking into homes. We're and, just not going to put up with it. Right. And we're not going to let people do it for one cause and not for another. It's equality. You know, I mean, it's so hypocritical. And I think um, I, the biggest question I get in Montana from people is they'll go, so is it true that Oregon like legalized small amounts with the, some measure 110 with like small amounts of methamphetamine and heroin that and there are people on the streets? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, is it also true that like they can just get like these people that just show up from all over the country in Oregon can get health care and medical services and all the food that they need? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, no wonder they have a homeless issue. And I was going you know, and, and this is the, the question. They cannot believe that voters in Oregon passed that and that. It's well, I'll tell you what, though. The reason they passed it is because they had a misleading ballot title. Exactly. The ballot title said basically, well, we're going to take the taxes that we collect on marijuana sales and we're going to use it to fund drug and alcohol treatment programs. Well, the small print that wasn't in the ballot title was, oh, and by the way, we're legalizing meth and heroin and cocaine and go ahead and use it and you have a $100 fine and if you make a phone call to a toll-free number you don't even pay the fine. That's what was going on and the voters were not told that. The Attorney General wrote 
a stinking ballot title that was misleading and she got away with it because it was not changed in the courts. And we need to attack that system too and say the ballot title needs to be true so the voters know what they're voting on. And I'm get, sorry I got excited about it, but yeah. I feel that way about Kevin, it. Kevin, I love it. No, I, I, this is what this is all about. And I think the people need to take that voter's pamphlet and read just the information and everything else is propaganda. <laughs> paid advertising in the, they should do away with paid advertising in the voter's pamphlet and say, here's what the issue is and let people just read it and, and, and go do their homework. Kevin Mannix, thank you so much. You've been in politics a long time. I wish you luck. Uh, Oregon needs you. Um, and thank you for explaining. You, you keep saying on, when we're talking, you kept saying, I don't want to get too complicated. You are you 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 boil stuff down so well for people. I hope a lot of people watch this show because I think they'll figure out and understand really what's going on in Oregon. Thank you. And Rick, I'd like to mention Mannix for Oregon's the website. Folks can check me out and they can check me out on Facebook. And um, welcome hearing from folks. And uh, I'm running for state representative to address state issues. I want to represent my community, but I also want to deal with these state issues, understanding what's going on statewide. All right. Kevin Mannix, thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you later. So there you go. Kevin Mannix, other people standing up. Um, he's been around politics a long time, can bring some sense back to uh, the word people always tell me there's no common sense in Oregon anymore. And I said, there's no common sense is not common anymore. <laughs> you have to work at it. And Kevin obviously has it and uh, be paying attention to those people, you know, instead of listening to the media and listening to all the other stuff going on around you, find people like that, that you can listen to um, share this on your page. Let other people know what's going on. This is what we're trying to do is spread the word and let you get educated by other people then the media. All right. I'm Rick Dancer. We will be back tomorrow night with a fun show and lots of, we are jam packed with lives tomorrow night. You're going to be, your head's going to be spinning. All right. We'll see you later. Share.